This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I'm Doug Cunnington, and today is a little bit different. I have a guest host. Carl is uh, under the weather or busy or something like that, and we needed some episodes. So I called in a favor from Carla. Carla, how are you today? I am doing great today. I mean, I'm a pretty good substitute for Carl. You just add an A on the end, and that's me. So it's perfect. Uh, yeah, I'm doing great. I'm really excited to to talk about our topic today. So, And the topic is taking a sabbatical versus retirement and some of the semantic gymnastics you may have to do yes. and if it really makes a difference. And you're a perfect person to talk to about the, I guess, the the nuance between the two and maybe coming to a decision on how one wants to treat it. Now, before we get to it, Carla, who are you? And you could talk about your podcast a little bit here, uh, just so people have an idea who you are. And Actually, before you answer, you and your husband, Robert, were on the show before. We talked for you know, a really long time, so we'll link up to that so people can hear about your full background. Okay. I will not start with where and when I was born. I'll try to keep <laughs> it a little shorter than that. Uh, my name is Carla Cash, and my husband, Robert Davidson, and I have a podcast called Pennies and Popcorn, which is about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. So like most people, we love TV and movies, and we're also super deep into like the fire movement and personal finance in general. So we kind of mashed those two loves together and kind of rip apart financial things that we see on screen. So we have a lot of fun doing that. Um, super brief background pre-podcast life. Uh, I am an attorney, practice law in kind of a big law firm for a little over 10-ish years. And then we pulled the plug on that life, took off to go do some adventures. We backpacked a big chunk of the Pacific Crest Trail, toured Europe, went to Alaska, did a lot of crazy cool stuff, and ended up turning it into kind of a sabbatical instead of an early retirement and moved to Longmont, Colorado here. Robert went back to work. I kind of dabble in a lot of things. So Okay. Perfect. And you alluded to one of the reasons why you're perfect to talk about this topic here and in our community, we often think about just retiring and then, you know, people may pick up a side hustle or do something as a hobby. Um, it's not necessarily looked down upon once you're in the community, not looked down upon to like do some work again, um, just on your terms. But mainly the focus is retiring, never going back to work. And I think it's quite a hang up for some people, especially if they think, hey, I never want to go back to work. So I'm curious, when you guys were on the journey, I, I think if I recall, you didn't like the work that you were doing and you needed, you wanted to get out pretty aggressively. So were you thinking, I'm going to retire? Or did you not think too far past the whole thing? So I think I seesawed a lot between what I really wanted out of life and whether I did want to get to a point where we had enough to fully and completely retire and never go back to work or 
whether that was even possible for us to get to a place where we felt comfortable with that and we should just find another job that we or another job that I liked. Robert loves his job and always, always has. He's like a freak of nature. He's the only person I think I have ever met who genuinely loves his job and has had maybe like a couple bad days in like a 15-year career. I mean, it's it's amazing. So for me, though, it was it was really tough to decide which which direction I wanted to go and what I what I really wanted out of life because to this day I really want to find a job that I really enjoy that like pays you know like a comfortable ish amount of money that will just alleviate some of the stress on having to worry about that portfolio and how it's doing and whether it's going to be enough to sustain us forever um but I think it's tough for a lot of people. Like it's it's hard to find something that's really great. You know, you talk about pursuing like a passion project and turning that into a side hustle or even a full-blown career. And people talk about like losing the passion for it, right? When you have to do something, it automatically becomes less fun. So I do think there's a lot to be said for true early retirement and getting to a place where you can always just do things for fun and you never have to worry about the money. But sabbaticals can be so powerful and going back to work in maybe like a reduced capacity or even like changing careers altogether, I think can also be super awesome for so many people. And that's kind of what we've ended up doing. Okay. And you guys went on a big hiking adventure. How how long were you guys on the trail? So we didn't do the whole uh, PCT. We were on trail for maybe like two and a half-ish months, something like that. Okay. Um, and then pivoted to car camping because I had an ankle injury um, and just couldn't keep going. So we started car camping. So we continued to live like outside for about a full six months. So it was pretty good stuff. It's fun. Okay. Wow. And you mentioned that on on the trail and a lot of the, these through hikes and other big sort of expedition type deals, people do take a sabbatical for six months or a year or whatever. They know they're going to have to go back to work. So can you talk about that and that that sort of approach? Yeah. So um, to do one of these long through hikes, you have to take a sabbatical, right? Nobody has, or almost nobody has a job where you can just say, hey, I'm going to take a six-month vacation. So you have to have some kind of like formal arrangement with your job to say, hey, I'm either quitting altogether or I'm going to go for a really long time. I'll catch you when I catch you kind of thing. Um, And for the vast majority of the population, like they don't know about the fire movement, right? So there is no other option other than to take a sabbatical. They couldn't even dream of having enough to walk away for good unless you're at like a traditional retirement age. Um, So yeah, for all of those people, like 99% of the people we met on trail, that's the mindset that they're in. They've saved up enough for a chunk of time to take this sabbatical, hike the trail, and then go back to their normal lives. And they have a great time when they're out there, most of them, because the lifestyle out there while you're backpacking is just so freaking cool. It attracts the most amazing human beings. Um, but then when you're done with that, you've had this like little taste of pure freedom. You know, you're just living outdoors. Everything you need is in your backpack, right? You're carrying around like maybe a 10, 15 pound base weight plus food on top of that. You're carrying around like 10 to 15 pounds plus uh, food on top of that. And that's all you need. That's everything in your whole universe. 
And then you go back to a normal life where you have like a house or an apartment to clean. You have to get up in the morning at 7 a.m. And instead of like waking up to the sun and putting your shoes on and hiking up this beautiful mountain, you're getting in your car and you're doing like a 20-minute commute and you're sitting in your office with the fluorescent lights. <laughs> and so it, for so many people, is just incredibly hard to go back to that. So, so much so that they have a term for it. It's called post-trail depression. And so many people fight that and have to, you know, really struggle to settle back into that, quote, normal lifestyle. Um, so I think that is a potential risk for people who are thinking about doing a sabbatical, especially if you're going and doing some big, intense adventure where, you know, you're like kind of on an adrenaline high every day. And then to just like turn the spigot back completely off and have to go back to day-to-day -day sort of drudgery at a job that you maybe don't love, it can be really tough for a lot of folks. So I think if you are considering a sabbatical, try to take that into account and maybe plan for like a softer landing. Try to have some time where you can give yourself a period to adjust. Maybe don't go back to work like two days after you get off the trail um, or whatever your equivalent of a trail might be. So try to budget in for some extra time. Or one thing that I think can be really great for a lot of people is to use that as a pivot point, you know, to turn and do something totally different. Um, and we know some folks who did that too. So gotcha. there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. So one sort of side question, it's okay if you don't know this, um, but maybe we could talk our way through it. What are the economics of like PCT specifically? If you wanted to take six months off, for example, like how much would it cost? Let's just say like someone doesn't have, we could ignore the portion of like their potential mortgage or other living expenses okay, that they're yeah. not going to use. So just what should one save to be on the trail, cover cost, say six months? So there is a wealth of information on this topic on the internet. It varies a lot. You have people, just like anything, right? You can do it on a total shoestring budget um, or you can go hog wild with it. So the big temptation on a backpacking trip like that is going to town, right? Every time you go to town, you're like staying, you can stay in a hostel, you can stay in a nice hotel, you can like not go out to eat at all and just eat your ramen in your hotel room, or you can go out and have like a really nice meal. So it really depends on what you what you want out of it. But I would say, generally speaking, everybody that we talk to, I would plan to budget roughly 10-ish 10, 10 to 15-ish $1,000 for a six-month through hike. That It sounds like a lot because you're thinking, well, what are you doing except food? But you're actually paying for rides sometimes. You're paying to do laundry in town. You're paying for hotels or hostels. Um, you're eating out every time you go into town. Usually, most people enjoy doing that. Um, if you have any kind of medical issues and you have to go see a doctor, which is surprisingly common, you're just walking, but you're walking a lot. So it can be a lot of overuse injuries. So I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 to 15K. Okay. That's not, that's not too crazy, especially with, I assume that sort of moderate eating out, not treating yourself every time, but occasionally you're getting some good stuff, maybe yeah. a hotel occasionally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I'll talk about myself a little bit here. 
and feel feel free to ask questions back by the way we didn't we didn't chat about that ahead of time but feel free to ask <laughs> questions back so it's not back and forth or so it is back and forth so i haven't taken a like a pure sabbatical but when you were talking about being on the trail and like living this great life you're essentially like outside of your normal reality for sure you don't have um you know traffic and headaches and like e- even if you're you know retired you still have to go to the store and stand in line and like just normal stuff. So I'm sure it's replaced by other things like that, like laundry or whatever. But yeah. generally, you're in some alternate reality. So the closest thing, and actually looking at the date, um, for me, nearly 20 years ago, almost to the exact day, I showed up at the Rocky Mountain National Park, drove into um, Boulder for the first time, got up to Estes Park. And it was like summer camp for like, you know, 20 year olds. Yeah. It was fantastic. So like what you're talking about, I woke up, I, if I had to work, I went up to Trail Ridge store, which is at 12,000 feet. It's beautiful. People go on vacation there, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I did that every day. So even if I was working, it was a blast. How, how did I even end up here? It's crazy. And then it, it was like whatever, 90 days in a row of that. And then occasionally you get a day off, you uh, party in the evenings and have a nice time and like everyone's sort of in the same situation, except there actually were a couple like early retirees, which were like, how, how are they doing this? And they're, oh, cool. they're 55, but you know, we didn't ask enough questions, I guess. <laughs> we're just like, oh, they must've been really successful, but maybe they just uh, prioritize. Frugal. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, one of the reasons why I went out there was just to get out of the normal reality of like um, college. And I we're probably going to record an episode on this. I didn't enjoy college very much, which is like, you know, most people that's like one of the best times, right? They they want to get back to that. It sucked. I, I didn't like it. I wanted to get out. Um, so I was like, ah, maybe I can get out to the mountains and and all that kind of stuff. And then I actually came back the next summer because I liked it so much. So I was like, this is great. Kind of to your point, I hit that post, uh, you know, seasonal work depression and was back in school. And I thought, well, I can go back the next summer and just earn nothing, not spend too much and have a blast. And then funny enough, like we live like 45 minutes away from where that is now. So never thought I'd end up back here. So you said you had like some sort of post-seasonal depression when you went back to to your school environment. So a lot of people in the backpacking community, their cure for post-trail depression is to just like basically live a life where they work for a few months and then they go back to the backpacking life. Like you just save up enough to keep funding that dream over and over again. Did you ever think about doing something like that with your with your seasonal gig that you liked so much? I so same deal. People did the same thing in the seasonal work. So they would work it Breckenridge or Vail or something in the winter, bum around um, like during the shoulder seasons. So I thought about it a little bit, but I was entrenched enough with engineering school and had, you know, nice opportunities in front of me. So I was experiencing, uh, you know, the sunk cost of all the several, it took me like six and a half years to get out of college. So all the sunk cost of all that work, I was like, I need to like, I just, need to finish this Mm -hmm. and then I can, you know, figure it out later. So I, I thought about it a tiny bit, but I was like, 
I have a pretty good like trajectory. I should probably like follow along with this, which, yeah, I mean, I'm happy where I'm sitting now. So I think that was good. Um, did some of those people run into issue like the revolving door? Were they like, I mean, there's no way to get out of that um, if they're if they're just unable to save and they're just saving for the next time that they're off. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it is a revolving door. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, I guess the way to get out of that is to just stop taking the sabbaticals, right? You just go back to work and say, okay, this is it. I'm in it for the long haul now. Um, yeah, we, one of our good friends from the trail is from Scotland and she works as a, um, like an egg quality check person. So she like makes sure that eggs are okay before they end up in the carton. One of the coolest human beings we've ever met. And yeah, she has traveled all over, had a ton of really cool adventures, and that's kind of her model. She just works for a long time, saves up enough to go back out and do something different. So I don't know. She's from Scotland. I don't know if they have maybe like a better pension-ish kind of system over there. So maybe she doesn't have to worry about saving for like true retirement when she gets to the point where she can no longer work at the egg farm factory. I'm not sure what the right <laughs> word is. Um, but yeah, other than that, like you have to have some kind of exit plan because eventually I'm sure everyone gets to a point where they don't want to be working anymore. So yep. something to think about for sure. And uh, I didn't mean to disparage that lifestyle. I think it could be totally valid, especially if yeah. um, you know, you're able to take essentially there are many retirements. So four hour work week has that sort of label for a mini retirement periodically because no one's guaranteed to live till they hit retirement age or even if she yeah if she had everything taken care of there's no guarantee she's going to make it to whatever 55 or 60 or whatever yeah so yeah uh, it's so true um just yesterday i don't get on social media a ton but yesterday i got on facebook to look at used pianos because i'm a piano addict and it's a problem but um I saw that one of my friends from college had just passed away. Oh, no. Yeah. Sorry. And I mean, 39 years old, just a, a little bit older than me. And yeah, it's just, it's such a powerful reminder whenever you have something like, like that come up that we are, we're never guaranteed a single day, right? I mean, anything could happen at any moment. So I think if you're making a little pro-con list at home for sabbaticals versus early retirement, that's, I think that goes in the pro column for sabbaticals, right? Like don't wait to do something that you really want to do, especially a big adventure like the PCT or, you know, backpacking through Europe or something like that. If that's, if it just means so much to you and you really want to do it, I say go do it. You know, if you have the funds and um, you can swing it, you'll figure out some way to to find work when you get back from that. So I think that goes in the win column for sabbaticals. 100%. So before we move on to like maybe the semantics of sabbatical and retirement and how someone can look at it, I didn't know you were having a piano problem. I have a guitar problem. I have a new guitar <laughs> back there. We got it in Santa Fe. Oh. And um, yeah, we'll talk about it later, but sometimes you have to indulge. Have you gotten another piano no. or you're just looking? Uh, I was actually, I was looking for a friend. I know that sounds like a line, but it wasn't. I'm <laughs> teaching teaching a friend of mine uh, to play the piano and uh, she was asking me for recommendations on used ones. So that is why I was looking. At least that was the immediate reason. But I just kind of look all the time because I 
I'm always curious. If they have okay. like a really good deal on one. What's um? And I'm just tangents are part of the show. What is a <laughs> like a used piano cost? Like what kind of stuff are you if you're comfortable saying? I mean, no. we can look, so it's not like you're. So <laughs> if if you get on like Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, there are usually dozens of pianos available for free, acoustic pianos, because they're big and they require a lot of maintenance. You got to get them tuned, which is fairly expensive. I think my piano tuner charges like 180 per session, like, and you have to do that twice a year if you want to keep your instrument in good shape. Um, so it's expensive. It's time consuming. And a lot of people get the instruments and then they just let them sit and they don't do anything. And then 20 years later, they're like, oh, we should get rid of this thing. But they're in terrible condition. And there is a like a past the point of repair for pianos where they don't get back in tune very well. Um, so at that point, they just give them away for free. So be very, very leery of these free acoustic pianos that you see um, because a lot of them are past the point of repair. You can get really good deals. Like it's possible. Yeah. Um, but also keep in mind it's not truly free because you have to move it and you typically can't do that yourself. Got it. So anywhere from free all the way up to like tens of thousands of dollars. It just, it completely runs the gamut. A digital piano, I would say for a pretty good one, you're looking at somewhere in the range of 500. Okay. Um, that's like decent-ish. Got it. Yeah. And then I was, it's very interesting because the shop that we went into in Santa Fe, it's specializes in vintage instruments and they'll get guitars that are sort of in disrepair yeah. and they'll rebuild them. But the thing is um, an acoustic guitar sounds really good if it's old, even if it was, you know, abused, the old wood is, is very good. Oh. The age is good. So yeah, yeah. these guys were getting, you know, 50, nearly hundred year old guitars. They'll take them apart, rebuild them, rebrace them, glue it, make sure it's in good shape. And then, you know, it looks all beat to hell, but it plays wonderful and sounds like ridiculous compared oh, to a new guitar. That's really cool. Yeah, I don't know if the wood on piano ages. I mean, I do know that generally speaking, a brand new piano is going to take like a few years before it sounds like as full and rich as it ever will. And then if you maintain it, they can last almost forever. Right. So they last a really long time, but I don't know what it is about pianos exactly, but there's something that can go wrong with them. Like the strings, I guess, just deteriorate if they're not tuned properly. And yeah, you just never get them back in tune. So you have to like restring it and start from scratch. Got it. Got it. Okay. We could talk probably for like three <laughs> more hours can, on sorry. that. So, um, so we're talking about sabbatical and retirement and what, what got you guys back to work? So I, I think you probably had the option at least to not work for maybe forever, at least for several more years and just chill out. Um, so what got you guys back into the office? So Robert just straight up missed it. Like he- What a weirdo. I know, right? It's crazy. He just, he has such a great relationship with so many people that he worked with. Um, I mean, yeah, there's no other way to put it. He was just like missing it a ton. So I think he gets a lot of value out of, you know, feeling useful and those relationships that he has. And it just, it's such a perfect fit for him. So yeah, he, that was like the thing he wanted to do most in the world was go back to his old job, especially given that he had the chance to do it remotely from wherever we wanted. So we were able to, to land here where we're close to the mountains after being like in the mountains, going all the way up to Alaska, like 
the Oregon coastline, all those beautiful places. We just could not bring ourselves to go back to like flat, hot, horrible Dallas. <laughs> so um, yeah, we ended up here. And so that's his answer is he just couldn't get enough of work and wanted to go back desperately. I ended up going back to work in a reduced capacity doing something very different just because I kind of stumbled into it. I met some great people who had a little itty bitty immigration firm and they just like put their whole hearts into it and loved it and it was just fun. So I ended up getting back because I just found a great opportunity. Okay. And it's like a lot more rewarding than the type of law you were practicing before, right? A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Yeah. Okay. So what about you? Would you, what do you think sabbaticals are recommended for the majority of people? Or would you recommend that you like grind it out, stick it out until you're at your fire number? I think it's it's personal for each person and but but generally i would say probably you know you can call it a sabbatical to give yourself flexibility if you never go back to work great who cares like it, your sabbatical just turned into retirement so and i think i think it almost doesn't it doesn't matter it is a semantic thing where like some people will get hung up if you say retirement and they get a little confused so it might just be easier to explain Hey, I'm going on a sabbatical. Now, for me personally, um, I've mentioned it a few times. I, I work, I'm, I'm doing uh, my own podcast, have this one. I have a YouTube channel and online course business, but it's fairly minimal. Um, I'm usually doing like 15 to 20 hours per week or so, and I take big chunks of time off. So it doesn't feel too bad and it's pretty fun. Usually if I run across some activities that I don't enjoy, I get them off my plate so I don't have to do them anymore. That said, it still takes up some brain bandwidth. And I could see certainly going, you know, me personally, even though I live somewhat of a lazy lifestyle, taking a sabbatical from the lazy lifestyle, which sounds so indulgent and, and nice, but really self-centered as well. Uh, I don't so. think so at all. <laughs> I mean, look, like we were talking about life is short. And if you feel like you need a break, even from something that seems pretty relaxed. I say take it, you know. Do what you want to do as long as you're not hurting anybody else. I say do what you want to do in life. Yeah, and it would just be you know, for me just not checking those emails or just like getting rid of them and I mean I I am doing less and less so I realize like if I don't reply back to these emails timely or at all, usually it's fine cuz I've set up everything else yeah. properly. But Having the break and just the bandwidth, how long did it take for you to like decompress after? Because you you were pretty like in a high pressure situation yeah, for your career. Very much so. Um, I would say, I don't know. I always feel like the way that we did it, the way that we quit and like went on a big adventure was so good. And I would highly recommend it to anyone um, because we didn't go from... 60 to zero, you know, we went from like 60 in one direction, like a unfun work stress direction to kind of like 60 in another more fun direction. You know, we just had so many things going on. We're meeting so many new people, having these new experiences every single day. Um, and that really worked for me. I think I would have had a hard time if it had just been like a clean break. And then I was just sitting at home, waking up the next day going, huh, what do I do now? So I think having a 
transition like that where you're doing something that's exciting and fun and then it gives you time to think about how you want to structure your quote normal life when you quit doing these big adventures that it really worked well for me so it was kind of a slow decompression in some ways because we were just we went in such a radically different direction but i would say in general maybe maybe like a year or so right yeah i yeah. mean it takes a long time yeah it's it's interesting to think about i was talking to someone and I was like, I think I need to do like a pre-vacation before I go on vacation. Cause usually <laughs> yeah. the first couple of days you're still like thinking you got to check your email or something like that. So, all right. Well, as we wrap up here, a couple last things, and I think you actually summarized it pretty well, but I'll give you a chance again. You said, you know, if you want to take a break, go on sabbatical, like do it. Anything else to add with that? Yeah, I think, um, just go out and chase those dreams, you know? I don't think anybody ever regrets taking a shot at something. You know, you just, it's that kind of cliche about you regret the things you didn't do, not the things you did do. So as long as you're financially prepared for it, you're not going to like get stranded somewhere with no resources or be on such a, sh a shoestring budget that when you get back home, you're like, I got to find work and I got to find it now. And you're in a panic mode. As long as you're protecting yourself from those kinds of dangers financially, then I say go for it. Awesome. Now, uh, I'll let you talk a little bit about your podcast. And I, I recently listened to the, there were two episodes. It was a two-parter on the MLM. Can you talk about that one a little bit? I mean, I think you guys enjoyed um, the, the documentary it was based on and just give a little teaser. Yeah, so we did two episodes on the Lula Rich documentary, which is about the Lula Row company, which is a multi-level marketing company, which I think probably most people are familiar with. That's things like Mary Kay or Lula Row was a really popular one. Um, what is it like Amway was kind of the original original gangster in the MLM community. Um, but it is such a common thing for people to get sucked into this. I think especially well. If you're in the financial independence community, you're probably financially savvy enough to know that these are generally not great ideas. But people who have don't have like a traditional W2 kind of job, I think will often get sucked into this kind of thing because they think, oh, it can be a fun little side hustle and make some money at it. So we talked about the statistics and how few people actually make any money at all getting into an MLM. Um, anyway, it's a fascinating documentary. We had a lot of fun putting the episodes together. So yeah, check out Pennies and Popcorn. It's a lot of fun. Cool. And we'll link up to those episodes. And you know, quick note, this is a good time to launch the Mile High Fi MLM. It'll be, <laughs> um, you know, you're selling our merch, but it's obviously, right. you know, really nice stuff. So you can email Carl, Carl at Mile High Fi, and he'll get you, he'll get you roped in. Yep. All right. Thanks, Carla. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in 
in person, so the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.